Welcome to Fifth Wall's Building to Zero podcast. The real estate industry is the world's single largest contributor to climate change. At Fifth Wall, we're on a mission to help the industry eradicate its carbon emissions and build to zero. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode of Building to Zero, I am joined by Kathy Hainan, co-founder and president of Dandelion, a rising geothermal heating company. We dive into the economic and environmental benefits of heat pumps and why it is a growing alternative to traditional heating and cooling systems. Enjoy the conversation. Kathy, thank you so much for joining. Where are you coming in from today? I'm calling in from San Carlos, California. Nice. Well, can you start maybe by just giving your background and kind of the the arc of your career leading up to starting Dandelion? Absolutely. So I studied civil engineering in school and then got master's degree in computer science and really wanted to use that to do something in energy. So I always had that idea, but at the time that I graduated, it was very difficult to know how to do that. I didn't want to be a civil engineer that built buildings or did water remediation. So I wasn't sure exactly where to take it. I ended up working at Google and eventually made my way over to Google X as a product manager who was responsible for coming up with new ideas and businesses for X to start. And that work eventually led me to geothermal heat pumps. And I ended up spinning out that work as a company called Dandelion. So now I'm the co-founder and president of Dandelion Energy. And can you just talk about that? you know, that inspiration, obviously, from Google X, like, what was it there that led to, you know, founding Dandelion Energy? Absolutely. A lot of our mandate as people trying to find new projects for X to pursue was, you know, you have to find something that's a big enough opportunity for Google to actually care, which is actually a very high bar, (laughs) given how big Google is. Um, We also needed it to be technology centric. So there are a lot of problems in this world that are big, but probably have a policy solution or some solution that's not technology, but Google's not as interested in those. And then lastly, uh, it's an idealistic place. So the goal was to make the businesses we were starting something very useful for society. And that actually seemed to align really well with energy, in my opinion, because we have such big energy problems today with climate change. The market is gigantic. And A lot of the solutions, though not all, are technology-focused. So my purview is really trying to find what can we do in energy that meets those criteria. I never would have imagined that would take me to geothermal heat pumps. In fact, I hadn't even really heard of geothermal heat pumps, I'll admit to you, when I started looking into them. But what really captured my attention is it turns out that, especially in cold climates like the East Coast or the Midwest, 80% plus of energy used in buildings goes to towards heating and cooling. And even if you put solar on the roof, that's not going to solve that problem because most buildings heat using natural gas, fuel oil, or propane. So they heat using fossil fuels. And what we found was theoretically, if you replaced all of those heating systems with geothermal heat pumps, not only would you eliminate all of those emissions, you would also save people an incredible amount of money. And the scale of those savings was really what was staggering. And so then the question becomes, okay, if, if there's this technology that already exists that can eliminate emissions, 
that saves people a ton of money. Like why does no one use this? And the answer is it's very expensive to get it installed and it's such a hassle. And so the project became really trying to understand why and to see if we could overcome those obstacles. And so maybe for people that just aren't as familiar with what geothermal heating and cooling is or means practically, what is it? Can you kind of explain it in simplistic terms to people? Absolutely. Yeah. So let me just start out by saying the two major components of a geothermal heating and cooling system are these things that are called ground loops, which are just simple plastic pipes buried in a yard. You can do it in a lot of different ways, but we tend to do one or two of them that are 300 to 500 feet deep and just vertical. So they're quite deep, but they're only an inch and a quarter in diameter. So think small, thin, long, deep pipes. They're just circulating water with an antifreeze in it. So that's one part. The other part of the system is the heat pump. And this is, it kind of looks like a furnace, to be honest. And it's where your furnace would be otherwise connected to the ductwork in the building and connected to these ground loops that are outside. And what that heat pump is doing is it's circulating water through the ground loops. And as that water travels through the ground, it comes to, you know, it exchanges heat with the ground just passively. It, you know, if you put water into those pipes, it will eventually come to the temperature that the ground is. And then that water goes into the heat pump and that heat pump extracts that heat from the water and boosts the temperature and then um, distribute it throughout your house. And it can work in reverse too. So you can also take heat out of your house and put it into this water so it dissipates into the ground. Water is kind of the, the medium or the conduit that's cooling or heating the house. Is that what's actually happening? You can use water to put through radiators in your house, but you don't have to. So I would, so basically like the ground loops are, their only function is collecting heat from the ground or putting heat into the ground. And then the heat pump inside your house, it can be connected to ductwork and blow hot or cold air throughout your house. It could be connected to radiators and move warm water through your house. You, there are even ductless geothermal systems, which kind of look like a ductless mini split, but instead of connecting to a compressor that's outside your house, it's connected to the ground loops. So there are many different styles and different ways of distributing the heat throughout your house. But the geothermal concept is really about where is that heat coming from with an air source heat pump, like a ductless mini split. It's coming from the air outside. You're using that outdoor compressor to harvest heat from the air. And the geothermal heat pump is very similar, except it's harvesting heat from the ground instead of the air. Got it. And so from an you know, from a unit economics perspective, like from a household perspective, like what are the actual savings? And I imagine that's somewhat dependent on climate and energy usage. But if you were just average that, like what roughly are we talking about in terms of savings? Yeah. So for our customers in New York, and we're really focused on the Northeast, a typical customer will be spending $3,000 to $4,000 on fuel oil to heat their house in a given year in New York. And if they switch to geothermal, they're going to pay about $1,000 on the electricity to run their geothermal heat pump. So it's a significant savings. And, and presumably, like, obviously, the source of the energy at the asset is dependent on whatever, you know, the, the nearby utility is. But mm -hmm. It's just electricity that ultimately powers the, the geothermal pumps, yeah. right? Yeah. If, a, if an asset were powered by clean energy sources, such as solar, mm -hmm. since mm -hmm. geothermal heat pumps only require energy to operate, you could actually truly run a fossil fuel-less heating or cooling system at an asset level. Is that right? That's exactly right. And a lot of our customers 
do have solar on their roofs that they can use to run their heat pumps and then they're completely net zero. But we also offer to our customers the option to sign up for community solar. So even if they don't have solar on their roof and don't can't get it because of shading or don't want to get it, it's a great option because community solar costs about 10% less than grid electricity. And, and because your cost of doing geothermal heating and cooling is directly proportional to what you pay for electricity, it makes your cost of heating and cooling 10% less to sign up for community solar. So Dandelion is just all about trying to find those ways to align the customer's financial incentives with decarbonization. What's the life, like what's the usable life of a geothermal heating system, like for an asset? Yeah, this is one of my favorite things about geothermal heating and cooling systems. So I'm glad you asked. Those ground loops, which are really the things that differentiate geothermal, they last as long as the building itself. So they're warranted for 50 years, but they will last. I mean, they're just inert. HDPE plastic pipes encased in grout buried in the ground. So they're not going anywhere. They're just going to last. The indoor equipment, it, it lasts for 20 to 25 years. And so when you got to 25 years, you would probably just replace the heat pump inside the house. But that's a very simple thing to do. It's like replacing an air conditioner. So one of the things that I find very satisfying about the work is just when we put ground loops next to a house, that house will use renewable heating forever. I mean, there's no reason financially that it would ever go back. So it's like each time we transition a building away from fossil fuel heating, it's transitioned. And is it equally applicable to residential real estate as as well as commercial, meaning, you know, single family residential? Can you also do this at large commercial office assets? Yeah, you can. It's very versatile. And in fact, St. Patrick's Cathedral in Manhattan, just to give you a very, you know, a building you might expect would be hard to convert, that that uses geothermal. So it's um, something that pretty much any building can do. Dandelion has chosen to focus and standardize on single family residential just because as I, as you're, you know, better than anyone, it's like when you're in the building space, there's just such a large market and so much diversity that if you don't focus, it can be very difficult to create a standardized product. And so what we're really trying to do is create a standardized geothermal heating and cooling product that we can scale and get cost out of and really standardize around. And so our first market is single family residential. And in that vein, obviously, you know, the real estate industry has kind of changed its perspective with respect to sustainability and decarbonization just in say the last you know four years since even fifth wall has been around and, and i've noticed that the the real estate industry which was an industry which didn't seem to have a point of view on sustainability or decarbonization as little as three years ago now you're seeing huge efforts and a real mobilization mm-hmm sources and capital to decarbonize. How has that started to impact your business? Obviously you, you know, you you distribute, I imagine, both at an enterprise level, but also directly to consumers. Just from the, the corporate real estate world, what do you see changing in the last four years? It's incredible how much has changed in the past four years. The pace of change has been shocking to me. <laughs> like I mean in a good way, but just very surprising. And I think some of the trends I see that really make a difference are when, you know, I think um, in some places in California, you like can't build new buildings with gas, for example. There are these regulations that are forcing building owners to to change and to adapt to a low carbon future. And that's because no one has ever been forced 
to think about it before in, you know, very seriously, there's this scramble now to figure out, okay, if we, if we can't hook up to gas, what do we do? And, um, heat pumps are the answer to that. Like they really are, like, unless you want to go back to something like propane tanks outside of every, outside of every unit, which I don't even know if that would be legal anyway, but the way it's affecting us is we're just seeing a lot more policy support and a lot more incentives. So our homeowners that sign up for geothermal get actually a lot of money from utilities and from governments to help them with that switch, which of course makes the deal that much sweeter. So we see a lot a lot of people taking advantage of it. And a lot of it though is obviously switching, right? You're, you're switching kind of your existing systems to geothermal and there's kind of a economic analysis that the consumer can do around the incentives, but also the, the yearly cost. What about like yep. on the on the enterprise side, like on the home builder side or on the yeah. developer side? You know, how are they thinking about this? Given I think a very important point that you brought up, which is once you convert a home over to geothermal, it never goes back, right? It's it's a one way. Mm-hmm. How are they thinking about it differently? I think for some of the new builders I've talked to, you know, to be a successful home builder, you need to keep costs low. You don't want to introduce too much risk to your process. And I think for a long time that um, has led to some some amount of conservatism for, for many builders, just because it's easier to keep costs low and to keep things less risky if you're doing what you know, right? And I think now people are seeing that there's risk in not adapting and not experimenting because if you keep doing things in the same way you've always done them, and then the regulations change and make it illegal to do what you've always done, and you haven't you haven't tried something new and prepared, that's a terrible situation to be in. So I guess in, in a short way of saying it, I think we're just seeing a lot more openness to experimentation and trying new things and trying to figure out what is the low cost, least risky way to actually adapt and to have a more low carbon approach for new buildings. And when you think about kind of geothermal within, you know, the whole uh, zeitgeist of like every decarbonization technology, it's not one that you hear an enormous amount about, at least yet. And and why do you think that is versus say solar or wind? Like what, why is geothermal not kind of taken center stage in kind of the discussions around, you know, these obvious kind of low hanging fruit opportunities to to reduce you know, our fossil fuel consumption at the asset level? I mean, I think geothermal, to do it well, to deliver it well as a product to customers, you have to marry drilling, HVAC, and financing, right? You have to innovate across those three domains. And those three domains are never together. Like there's no incumbent that does all three of those things. They're actually like very different. And I think that's one of the reasons that there hasn't been as much investment in geothermal and as much um, progress maybe as some of the other renewable technologies. And that's honestly one of the reasons that we saw a need for a company like Dandelion to exist. And we've hired really good drilling talent from oil and gas, people who have structured finance, financial projects for solar, like have that experience. And then a lot of people from who know heat pumps and HVAC and refrigeration cycles and things like that, and brought them together in one company and raised the money that we, that we need to, to get that innovation done and to like really turn geothermal from a very promising technology into an actual product that consumers love which are two different things. And I think in the past, geothermal has always been recognized as a great technology, but it has not been 
consumer friendly or just packaged in a way that has made it easy to buy. And so therefore it hasn't really sold very well. And a lot of that, it sounds like obviously are, is, is the financing component. How, how do you work to, you know, make it more attractive or more understandable, more intelligible to the consumer as to why they should ultimately de- deploy it at their app? Yeah. To your questions earlier in our conversation, I think it's a lot around showing the customer, let us understand how much you're paying today for heating and cooling. Okay. Given that, let, let me model for you what it would, what you will be paying if you switch and let me show you the value to you, right? Like we sell these systems on a, on a value basis to the customer, showing them how much they'll save, what their payback is, right? It's all about making sure the customer understands if it's a financially sound decision for them. We don't sell it as like a cool new technology or a fancy thing or just like around um, feature set. It's more about value. And I think that's the difference because people generally are not going to invest a lot in a heating and cooling technology for fun. Like it's just not a priority for most people. I think people want, it's great that it's emissions-free. It's great that it's a luxury product, but if it can also save you money, that's why you'll buy it. It's like you, you get all those perks and you save money and that's what makes it really attractive. Can I go with a, a lightning round of questions? Just kind sure. Of- short questions and, and, and short answers. Would love to just hear how did you come up with the name Dandelion for your business? Yeah. So dandelions have tap roots that are kind of reminiscent of ground loops. So even though you have that little flower on the surface, the tap root can go actually like extraordinarily deep into your yard, which is why if you like rip off the flower, it just grows right back. And it's, it's kind of similar to how those ground loops will just last. What is the most rewarding part of your work at Dandelion Energy? I really love visiting jobs and just seeing the furnaces coming out and the and the geothermal going in. And I don't know, it makes it real and meeting the homeowners and just like, you know, seeing the houses get converted. What's the biggest misconception people have about geothermal as a solution to decarbonization? What is that? What is the, what is poorly understood about it as a solve to the climate crisis? People assume it's just so expensive that it's impractical. And I think that reputation is not 100% undeserved, to be honest, given the history, but that's changing so rapidly. And I bet most people do not know that they could actually save money and literally spend less right away if they switched. I think if more people knew that, we would see much faster adoption. What's been the hardest challenge you've faced as you built Dandelion Energy? That's a good one. I think as an entrepreneur and as a leader, it's maybe what I think of right away is this personal challenge around when to be confident and just to trust your gut and go with your decision and when to be open to the possibility that you have something to learn and you might want to question that decision, right? There are just so many decisions that need to be made. There's so much ambiguity. There's been a lot of learning and self-discovery around when to trust your gut and then when to have that humility and just be aware that there's so many things that you don't know and how to balance those things. For all the entrepreneurs out there that want to start a business that can help decarbonize our economy, what advice would you give them as someone who's now been in the space for you know many years um, and built a very successful business? I think that similar to the point I just made around humility versus confidence, it's I think one piece of advice would be don't assume that 
everything's already been figured out or you have nothing to contribute. Because I think for a lot of these problems, there's actually so much more to discover and to solve. And it's not going to be people within the industry that do it. It's often going to be outsiders coming in with a fresh perspective and partnering with people in the industry to deliver those solutions. So for any entrepreneur who's not, who feels that they are not an expert in clean tech, but wants to get involved, I think we need you. And um, I would just encourage people to try, like just to start doing it. And you know, I know this is a lightning round and this is a long, getting to be a long answer, but I was not an HVAC professional in any way, shape or form uh, when starting Dandelion. And I think one of the hardest parts of getting started was knowing who to trust within the geothermal industry, because a lot of people have a lot of orthodoxy, but there's also a lot of wisdom. And how do you decipher between those two things? And just getting in there and doing it and making all the mistakes was a really efficient way to start to learn what the truth was. So I think there's a lot of value to just getting started. Five years from now, where is Dandelion Energy? Five years from now, Dandelion Energy is, you know, selling all sorts of heat pumps to all sorts of homes across the US and in a few other countries as well. We're in home retrofit and new build, and we've expanded beyond just heat pumps, though I say just, you know, with, it would be amazing to have a huge impact on heat pumps. But I think in addition, we'll have some contributions to make with home energy more generally. So additional products that help homeowners decarbonize and save money at the same time. Well, Kathy, this has been so interesting just to hear your story and, and honestly get educated around geothermal and kind of the opportunity across all of real estate. So thank you for sharing all of your insights. Thank you for including me and, and asking for them. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Kathy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Building to Zero. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.